A few years ago, I was walking down through the mall here in town, and I had gone by several stores, and out the corner of my eye, I was passing Abercrombie and Fitch. And in the corner of my eye, I saw this mannequin that was out in front, and I could tell immediately that it was shirtless, but the mannequin had very defined muscles and physical structure was supreme. And, and, and I took another look and realized that it wasn't a mannequin. It was a real guy. Now, I didn't have a guy crush, but this guy was built. <laughs> I looked at him, he looked at me, and he did not invite me into the store. And I did not go in. And this week, I, I know why. This week, I was reading the market strategy from Abercrombie and Fitch as described by their CEO, Mike Jeffries, who said this, in every school, there are the cool and popular kids, and then there are the not-so-cool kids. And we go after the cool kids. We go after the attractive, all-American kid with a great attitude and a lot of friends. A lot of people don't belong in our clothes. And they can't belong. Are we exclusionary? Absolutely. That's why we hire good-looking people in our stores, because good-looking people attract other good-looking people, and we want to market to cool, good-looking people. We don't market to anyone other than that. So now I know. <laughs> Ever feel rejected? Ever feel as if that world doesn't fit you? Ever feel like you don't belong? In the first century, in Jerusalem, there were thousands of Jews who had decided that Jesus of Nazareth was the long-awaited Messiah. Even though he had been executed, they said he rose from the grave. And that he had brought the kingdom of God, the thing we sing about this morning, that kingdom of God, back to humanity. Well, you can understand that that created a lot of fury, that, that created a lot of conflict, and it, it seemed to boil over finally when one of the leaders of this Jesus movement was murdered. When Stephen was stoned, thousands of Jews who followed Jesus streamed out of the city in fear for their life and ended up on the eastern side of the Mediterranean. And even arriving there, they once again began to feel this sense of this world does not fit me. They were not received. They were not accepted. They were rejected. Now, because they fled out and, and it just seemed to be such, such disorganization as a result of this intense, painful persecution they were experiencing in Jerusalem and now experiencing in the places they moved to, in order to try to alleviate the pain they were feeling, the only thing they could figure out to do, because there were no leaders, there were no apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists there to guide them. They only could go with what they knew before. So they decided the way to get rid of the pain was to let go of their distinctiveness and begin to blend into community. And so they began to do that in hopes that their pain would cease in fact, their following Jesus became more of a formality, and they began to actually embrace the biases of the culture in which they lived to the place that they began to exclude other people within their own community of faith. The intense pain of this persecution created a church of bitter words, nasty attitudes, and prejudiced cliques. 
Instead of moving closer to the world that Jesus was created and promised to finish upon his return, they found themselves not moving toward that, that sense of, of beauty and, and peace and unselfish uh, love toward one another. Instead, they were on the fast track of being blended into the very world that Jesus had already triumphed over by his death and his resurrection and actually had taken from Satan, the one who began the ugliness in our world. Now, in a, in a game I learned in high school, what Jesus did to Satan, we would call checkmate. Now, I didn't play that game very long, but what I do know about the game is this, that if I say checkmate, my opponent has no more moves, that he has lost, and this kingdom on this board now belongs to me. Now, the most important person on this board is the king, because if you capture my king, I lose. So my question to us this morning is, who is your king? Those who follow Jesus and Jesus himself and the prophets who said he was coming all declared that he was the king of all kings, that, that everything, every spiritual force was in checkmate because he had conquered it all. In fact, he turned to his followers and to us today and says, you've seen me do this. Follow me in doing the same thing in your life. Follow me. It's your move. So this series that we're beginning this morning is about making the right moves so that we can block out those destructive life patterns and release life-giving provisions, grace to us by our king. How do we do that? It's the same question that the followers are asking as they were scattered throughout the nations. So back in Jerusalem, their leader, whose name was James, who happened to be this ferocious follower of Jesus, who also happened to be the brother of Jesus, writes to his scattered friends, and he, he is the bishop of Jerusalem. Now, in this game of chess, the bishop sits on either side of the royalty. The bishop, in the symbolism originally in this game, was the church. And this bishop was responsible for helping to move the authority of the royalty through the battlefield of this board. In the same manner, this bishop of Jerusalem said, I'm going to use my authority, I'm writing to you, to tell you what moves you must make so that you can exist within the kingdom of this king called Jesus. Here are the steps you should take. And in doing so, you'll be able to say checkmate to those destructive life patterns that afflict you even now. So he begins with the thing that seems most uttermost in their mind, most foremost, and that is pain, the pain of persecution, because all followers who, all those who follow Jesus will feel pain because of your following Jesus. You may feel it from outside sources. Things that you just think are normal may be the evil orchestration of Satan himself attacking you or your family or your physical health. You'll feel it. It may be 
the moral battle that you have inside, that privately you battle and no one knows, but you know what it is. You will feel that pain. You can't go to a Cleveland Browns game at Brown Stadium wearing a Steeler uniform and think they're going to buy you a hot dog and a beer. You can't drive a United States military Humvee into North Korea and think you're going to throw you a party. Oh, yeah, they'll throw you a party. And you can't be a follower of Jesus in this culture and think that it's going to be Dairy Queen and dances because it's not. For here is what James says, this bishop. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad, greetings, faith and endurance. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete and needing nothing. And so when I read this, I don't want to pay attention to it. Because I don't want anybody to tell me that my pain is for my benefit. I don't like pain. But I want us to consider this morning that as followers of Jesus, we are custom created by God so that endurance creates kingdom. If I just want you to say it out loud with me. Endurance creates kingdom. Say it. We sang it this morning. Remember the prayer you pray when, when things get nasty in life and you pray, oh, God, let heaven come here now. Let what you do in heaven come here and remove all this ugliness and nastiness that I'm experiencing. Come your kingdom, be done your will. However you phrase it, I want you here. Now, solve it now. Because when we pray, come your kingdom, be done your will, we're expecting immediate response. So Pam and I thought when I got laid off from my job, and so we're praying, oh God, we need your kingdom here. You need to solve this. You need to give Jack a new job. Give Jack a new job. Okay, give Jack a new job. Give Jack a new job. We prayed that for six months and two foreclosure notices. And what we discovered when the answer finally came is that the answer was not so much about a new job, but it was about a new us. It wasn't so much about a miracle for us, but a miracle in us. It wasn't that the kingdom of God showed up and said, oh, here's your job. It's like the kingdom of God came from within and said, here's your king. So James is telling his friends that pain is an opportunity, not a delay. He said, you're going to have this moral test. You're going to have these, these things attack you from the outside. And you're going to be put to the test because you're going to have trials of many kinds. And, and what I don't want to hear is what this says, which is it's, it's a verb tense that means not just one time, but continuously you're going to be tested by those things around you and inside of you. It's going to be wave after wave after wave. And it's going to come from different sources. You're going to think, well, what, where did that come from? Because the word actually means various tests, means many colored, multicolored. People, objects, circumstances are there. And you look at it and you go, but the, I, God, the answer is so obvious. If you'll just give me a job, if you'll just do this thing, it is so easy. And, and you try to make it easy. You try to make it work by finding the answer. And you realize in the process that people are resisting and systems are failing and things are breaking. And it just doesn't make sense. Why is this so stinking difficult? Because we think the answer is about the problem. Not always. 
Sometimes the answer is about us. I have a friend that he was my accountability friend for a lot of years, and we were close friends, and we've moved apart now, but he was pretty bold. And sometimes when I was dealing with issues and circumstances, I'd call him and I'd whine. And I can recall a couple of times I said to him, you know, I may be a baby about this, and then I'd say the thing, and he'd stop and go, whoa, 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 it is because you are being a baby. I'd say, can I talk to your wife? I don't like you anymore. <laughs> Paul reminds us where to park our faith. The time will come, especially in pain, that we have to come to the grips with, do we trust God with our entire life or just part of it? I can trust him with the forgiveness of my sins, but I can't trust him with my occupation. I can't trust him with my finances. I can't trust him with my relationships. I can't trust him with that stuff. I'll still have control. I want to tell you the pain normally comes from our desire to keep control. And we will have to wrestle through that. His name was Jacob, and his name actually means manipulator, deceiver. And this guy was amazing. He was, he was the consummate con man. And whatever he seemed to do, he could fall in manure and come out smelling like a rose. He was that kind of guy. He could just manipulate things and always get out of his problems, his troubles, and he's ripping people off always. Until the time that his brother, who was trying to kill him, had him cornered. And so in an in, 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 an attempt to salvage his family as much as he could. He sent him on their way so that he would have this confrontation alone with his brother and probably have a fight and die in that process. Now, we don't know exactly what happened, but we know the night before there was a confrontation he wasn't expecting. A man showed up, and the Scripture simply says they wrestled. So I, I, I don't think there was a, a divine voice that said, Are you ready to rumble? I just... I just do you smell what the rock is cooking? I remember that one too. It's just good stuff. I don't think it happened, but we know this, that in the process, somehow it dawned on him, this man was not just a man, this was God. In some kind of Christophany, some kind of theophany form, he's there and he's wrestling. And Jacob will not let go. He's holding on to this man, and the man's saying, let go, let go, let go. And Jacob says, you've got to bless me, you've got to bless me. And interpreted what that means is, you got to give me an answer to the issue I'm facing tomorrow. Solve my problem. Solve my circumstance. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to. And they keep wrestling until finally this man he's wrestling with reaches over to his hip and it says it wrenches his hip. I don't know if he dislocated it or what, but he just touched it and suddenly there's this intense pain. The pain intensifies and Jacob does not let go. He said, you've got to bless me. He's thinking, you've got to solve my problem. But something different's about to happen. And finally, the man says to him, what's your name? Now, in our culture, he said, well, that's just ridiculous. Why would you ask him his name? Especially if you're divine. You already know his name. Because in that culture, it would be like Scotty and I wrestling. What are you laughing at, Scott? <laughs> Scotty and I wrestling... And him saying to me, tell me your name, tell me your name. It's actually the old thing of cry uncle, tap out. This was the ultimate submission hold. Because what he was saying is, tell me your name, because if you tell me your name, you're telling me that I won and you're submitting to me. 
if you want me to bless you, you must submit to me. He said, my name is Jacob, I'm a deceiver. It is him declaring where his pain comes from. I've caused this because who I am. And the man responds by saying, you no longer will be called Jacob, but we will call you Israel, the prince. For you have wrestled with man and with God, and you have endured. You see, at that moment, when he changed his name, we've got to understand that, that when a divine being touches another person, a human being, and changes their name, it is because there has been a covenantal shift. There's a new intimacy. There is a new submission. And the name would always change somewhat or totally to represent that change. That when he came in contact with God and said, I submit, God said, I'm making you a prince. I'm changing your name. See, for all of you that follow Jesus, when you came into a relationship with him, in the book of Revelation, it says that you have a new name because you have a covenant agreement with God. So there's this covenant agreement now with Jacob. Your name has changed, and I'm not going to change your circumstance. I'm going to change your character so that you know how to deal with the circumstance. See, when we're dealing with the pain we face right now, if we try to avoid it, try to solve it ourselves, it will come back around to us again because it never got solved. But by endurance, we grab hold of God and we say, I have got to have an answer, I've got to have an answer. And we wrestle with God until we get to a place he says, tell me your pain, tell me your name, tell me what's going on here. And we submit to him. He then begins to remind us of what our name is by his view. And he may not change our circumstance, but he will change our character so that we can now know how to deal with our circumstance. That is wisdom. Endurance needs wisdom. You just can't hold on. You've got to have some wisdom in how to deal with this. So when James says that you will be perfect and complete, it's not the word perfect, we understand it to be. That perfect means, it's a Greek word, teleos, that means the final goal. You can't go beyond, what, beyond that. That's the ultimate for you. He said, I will take you as you submit to me and I give you wisdom. You will get to that spot and you will be complete. The word complete means that you'll have all the pieces you need. So that as you are enduring this painful experience, the result is that we have all the graces and strengths needed to move like Jesus in a culture that is not like Jesus. Instead of trying to fit in, we are standing out. We now have the ability and the authority to look at our pain and say, checkmate, I win. So he said in the pain, in this endurance that you're holding on, find your wisdom. And, and so James says this, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, he'll be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. So I was sitting in a meeting like this, auditorium about this size, and they were endeavoring to help rescue a college that had been developed 
for training followers of Jesus and they had come into some tough financial times. So representatives of churches and pastors were there and they were talking about how it had gotten there and they needed money. And, and the whole time it was, well, whose fault is it? Who did this? And there was this, this blame thing going on, this exclusionary view, it's your fault. Well, sitting right about down here were a young couple who had been struggling financially and they've been asking God to help them. They, they were just barely making it. And they needed to solve this. It was, it was their pain. It was, it was the issue they were dealing with. And they said, God, and they've been wrestling in prayer and finally said, God, we'll submit to you whatever you need. Just give us wisdom. What do we do in our poverty? And they had, just, they had saved just a little bit of money up so they could at least go to one semester of college at that school and, and were getting close to maybe saving enough for the second semester. Now, this was way back when things were a lot cheaper. And while they're sitting there, both of them had this sense that God had just given them wisdom, and the wisdom was this. Give and it shall be given unto you. And they realized that God was saying, give that college your tuition money so they can exist, and I'll take care of you. So they had wrestled. They had submitted, and now this wisdom comes, and they're still holding on because... They wanted to let go, but they're still enduring. They're still holding on because they know if you endure, the kingdom of God's going to show up. And so they're holding on. So they come to a microphone and they say, we know what's all going on here. And, and, and so we just want to say that in an effort to help, and we know it's not much, we've been saving for tuition and we're going to give that to the college. And there was just stunned silence. And then it was like this sweeping across the room that the kingdom of God had arrived because it had been in them, and by them doing that, it had just been released into that place. Suddenly somebody gets up and says, you know, our church was, was planning on building this addition, but I think we need to give it to the college, so we won't build, we'll do this. And then another person stood up and said, we had just sold our house, and we were going to use the, the mortgage for this, or the, the equity for this, but we're going to give it. And there was the most amazing, the most amazing generosity I've ever seen in my life, ever. For the next four to five hours in that place, people were giving away things so that that college could endure. And as a matter of fact, they raised the money that day. Now, in the middle of all that, somebody over here stands up and says, that young couple who gave their tuition, I'm covering their tuition, I'm covering what they gave, so I'll give it, they don't have to. The couple got back up and said, oh, no, 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 God told us to give that. You can give already what you just said, but we're giving, still giving ours. And then another guy over here stood up and said, if that's the case, I'm going to give that man four-year scholarship to this college. It was the most amazing thing, and I'll tell you what it was. It was some people who had wrestled to the place they had submitted to the, when they heard the wisdom, they acted upon it, and when they did, the kingdom of God got released. Wisdom provides an understanding of the nature and the purpose and the, of the pain and how to win over it. Sometimes we don't ask God. We, we're in such a mess, we don't even ask him. We say, God, I just... It, Oh, please help. And we don't, want to, we don't want to ask him for the wisdom because we know we got ourselves in the mess because we have inadequacies or because we rebelled. We've just messed up. And, but he says, don't, 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 don't do that. Ask him. He is so ready to give you his wisdom and show you what to do. Ask him. But when he does, follow it through. Because if you don't, you're back to that place where you've taken control and you've already submitted. He's already changed your character. Don't return back to where you were before. Keep believing what he's telling you. So when he says, given it shall be given, and you don't feel like it, you endure and follow through because you release the kingdom. When he says, 
love your enemies and pray for them, then you still do that even though you don't feel like it. When it says forgive the one who abused you, you follow through because God is releasing his kingdom in you. Endurance is creating his kingdom. So I leave you with this. Three steps. They're not in your notes, but you can write them down. The first is wrestle in prayer. Whatever your pain is, I so want to encourage you to spend extra time talking to God about the pain you feel and asking what you should do. Wrestle in prayer. Somewhere in there, he's going to ask you your name. He's going to ask you what it is and who you are and what's the pain because the pain is connected to who you are. Confess your pain to him. Because you may say it's my marriage, it's causing me pain, but as you spend enough time with God, you're eventually going to get to the place where he's gonna, you're going to be able to say, uh, my name is Jack and I'm selfish with my wife. Now what do I do? Because a lot of times the problem is not the problem, the problem is me. And thirdly then, ask him for wisdom. If you are a follower of Jesus and you know the scriptures, begin to read the scriptures and say, show me the wisdom that I need now to complete this task to get through my pain. If you're not been a long follower of Jesus, then get a hold of somebody who has and says, tell me what the scripture says about this pain that I'm feeling and let them show you what it says. If you don't know anybody like that, come see us at the church office. We got plenty of people and plenty of Bibles. And then when you find that out, I simply want to ask you to do this. Make a move, because it is, it's your move. And when you do, when you start that move, the day will come when you'll be able to say to the destructive patterns in your life, and especially to your pain, you'll be able to say, checkmate, I win. Would you stand? Please be here next week. I'm going to give you another move towards checkmate, so please be here. Let me pray a blessing on you. So, Father, now, to these friends, as they come to you, may they see your compassion. May they understand your voice. May they have courage to cry out their pain to you and courage to hold on and endure so that your kingdom is established in them. May they have your wisdom. You said we could ask and you would hold back. Give them wisdom, the next steps, the next moves. Let them see them. And I thank you that already in them you've given them the courage to take that step. Let them see the reward of following you. So we declare that we live within your kingdom and that you've already said to the enemy, checkmate, we win. For that, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.